so we're, we're back here in the Gospel of John. And as we talked about last week, the writer of John introduced Jesus to his readers in a way that was different from the other Gospels. I don't know if any of you went back and looked at the opening of Matthew, Mark, and Luke during this past week. You should, you should do it at some point just to see the contrast between them. Uh, and, and the primary differences are that Jesus was introduced not as a baby as he was in Matthew or Luke, or as an itinerant preacher as he was in the book of Mark. Instead, John chose to introduce Jesus as God himself, an existence before the creation of the world. So Jesus' story in John does not begin when Jesus took his first breath or when the angels appeared to Mary or Elizabeth. Uh, instead, he is, Jesus is outside of time with God before creation itself. And this is the foundation that John wants to build his story of Jesus upon. Now, why did he do this? Well, keep in mind that there were a lot of stories going around at that time as to who Jesus really was. You know, it was several decades after Jesus had been crucified, resurrected, and returned to heaven. And there were a lot of ideas about who he was or, or who he could have been. And it's easy to focus on the humanity of Jesus, Jesus as a man, if you start with his birth. It firmly plants him here on earth. Um, but John, his point from the very start is that Jesus is much more than a human. In fact, Jesus being human is not Jesus' primary identification. He is God before he is human. He is the word, light, creator, flesh, the agent of truth and grace. He was with God and he was God. And therefore, all who appear in the book of John are witnesses to testify to this fact that this is who Jesus was. So John the Baptist, who we're going to talk about this morning, within the book of John, is not really John the Baptist. Because what he does here doesn't matter as much as who he's pointing to and what he wants everyone to know. Now, I don't know uh, what kind of TV shows or movies or books uh, you, know, you like to consume, but within the world of entertainment, we have a fascination with crime. It's something that interests us a great deal, and this is not a new development. Uh, legal dramas in American film it has a long history from as early as 1908, with the film Falsely Accused. The 1950s and 60s presented a number of legal drama films, including 12 Angry Men, Witness for the Prosecution, Anatomy of a Murder, Inherit the Wind, Judgment at Nuremberg, and of course, To Kill a Mockingbird, which was a book we read before we watched the movie. Well, not me, because they both existed at the same time. But for some of you, you might have read the book first. Early American television programs considered uh, had several legal dramas as well, which includes shows like Perry Mason, there you go, uh, The Defenders and Matlock, 
Uh, more recent examples of these dramas are shows like The Practice and Law and & Order and L.A. Law and The Good Wife. Uh, Law & Order is currently in its 23rd season, which is long, but it took a 10-year break there too. So it's been around for almost 35 years, which is kind of a, a weird thing to think about. Uh, and of course, it spawned several shows of its own that were based on Law and Order. Now, these lists don't uh, include another category, which are legal thrillers, which became uh, which has become a thing, and probably one of the first, uh, like that I remember from my life, like serious legal thrillers was The Firm, followed up by A Time to Kill. And I know that there are some before those, but um, this also doesn't include uh, things like CIS or CSI and NCIS, which are crime procedurals, where you're watching the investigators go through all of these different pieces. But we don't stop there either in our fascination because we have an enormous store of live courtroom shows, which are all totally real and not scripted at all. Um, do you know how many there are? Okay, let me just read the names to you. There is... Judge Alex, Judge David Young, Judge Faith, Judge Hatchett, Judge Jean Pirro, Judge Jerry, Judge Joe Brown, Judge John Deed, Judge Judy, Judge Karen, Judge Mathis, Judge Maria Lopez, Judge Mills Lane, Judge Rinder, Judge Romesh, Judge Steve Harvey, Judge Wapner's Animal Court, Judge for All with Judge, Justice for All with Judge Christina Perez, Justice with Judge Janine, Justice with Judge Maybelline, and last but not least, the judge. That is 21 live courtroom shows. And you may have noticed this, that's just in the J category that we have those shows. But there's no argument clearly about who the best judge is. Like it's clearly, oh, there was law and order. Keep going. Judge Judy, there we go. <laughs> she just looks intimidating in that picture, uh, you know. Um, and if you think I'm not telling the truth about our fascination with crime and legal shows, well, I have bad news for you. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> um, so what are the elements of... We can have him stop yelling at us now. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> what are the elements of a good crime show? What are the things that need to be there in order for it to keep our interest and, and to keep us watching or reading or listening? Uh, uh, the first thing you need is a criminal or a defendant. And, and sometimes we are rooting for the person to be proven innocent. Uh, other times we know they're guilty and we're waiting for them to get caught. You also need some sort of law enforcement, and within law enforcement, the cops, there are good and bad cops. Uh, you need lawyers, which again, there are good and bad lawyers. But the crucial piece to any good crime story is the witness and the evidence. Uh, this is the mystery that we're trying to solve, can we prove who did it or can we prove that this person did not do it? Are the witnesses telling the truth? Are they going to be caught in a lie? And I can just off the top of my head think of several things I've watched where I was waiting for the witness to get caught in the lie. 
right? And the lawyer has the witness going down this certain route and then pulls the, you know, the red card out that, that proves that this person is lying. It is this element that draws us in perhaps more than any other. It is this quest for the truth of the situation and the various ways we can get there. Now, in many ways, this is the kind of story that John was writing. The story he tells in his gospel is a story of Jesus on trial, both within the story itself and in the environment of the reader. So as we're reading it, here's kind of the weird part about it, he's telling a story about how Jesus is proved to be who he said he was. But we're reading it, and he's also trying to prove that to us, because he's not just presenting to the case into space, right? He's trying to convince people that this account is accurate and true. Is Jesus who he says he is? And is Jesus who his followers say he is? So John creates sort of a full-school drama of the legal process. It's not the formal courtroom kind, although there is a trial, a literal trial there for Jesus. Um, But it is the kind where Jesus is being questioned and he's not understood, and John wants to prove that he can be trusted. And within the gospel, Jesus speaks for himself, doesn't he? In all the gospels, he gives his own testimony about who he is, and and he proves it through miracles and teaching and the way that he treats and loves other people. But there are many others within the gospel that speak for him, witnessing and testifying that Jesus truly is the Son of God. So today, we are going to take a deeper look at John the Baptist within the opening of the Gospel of John. Again, I'm probably going to call him JTB uh, just for the sake of fewer words. But I'll, don't worry, I'll make up those words in other places. So, um, JTB plays a crucial role in the book of John, but it's not really in the way that we are accustomed to seeing him. Um, if you pay attention to the details, he is talked about in a very different way than he is in the other Gospels. In fact, in the other Gospels, John the Baptist comes into the story before Jesus even does. He is not only the forerunner of Jesus here on earth, but in the story. He is there first. But John has made sure that we understand that Jesus came first, right? That even though uh, we haven't met him in his human form yet, that he was God, is God from the beginning of time. So in the book of John, John the Baptist is not the baptizer paving the way. Instead, he is a witness, and he's the first witness called to the stand to testify and to speak about who Jesus is. Now, how can you tell if someone is a reliable witness? What do you have to do? You have to question them, which is exactly where John starts. So if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 1. We're going to be in verses, initially here in verses 19 through 28. <clears throat> now this was John's testimony 
when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Notice the language there. Right from the start, this is what John's purpose is. He did not fail to confess, but confess freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Well, you know, my favorite color is blue, and I was born, uh, you know, an angel told my mother, like, that I was, my father, that I was coming. No, it doesn't start that way. Listen to what he says. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, I'm going to say some very obvious things to you, okay? But just ride this out with me. By its very nature, an eyewitness uh, has information that others do not. That's why they are crucial to the process. Uh, often through experience, the witness can provide an account of what really happened because, in most cases, the witness was there and has seen things that the other people in the room have not seen. Within the Gospel of John, John the Baptist is the first one who has special information about who Jesus is. He's the first one we see that knows what this is all about. He knows who Jesus really is, and he clearly understands that his job is to tell people about Jesus. So you may have noticed he doesn't talk about himself. Even when he's asked direct questions about who he is and why he's doing what he's doing, all of his answers point back to Jesus. Now, in all four Gospels, John the Baptist is challenged in the same way. He's asked these same questions at different points. Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you a prophet? Uh, and in verse 19, we're told that priests and Levites were sent out to question John on behalf of the Jewish leaders. So this is an official interrogation, an official questioning as to what is going on here? And these people, uh, the priests and Levites, uh, would be what the other Gospels call the scribes and Pharisees. It's the same groups of people. And in fact, John refers to them as Pharisees later in that passage. And their job was to figure out what was going on. So they were sent by leaders in Jerusalem to figure out who John was and particularly why are you baptizing people in the desert? It's kind of a weird thing for someone to choose to do with their life, right? And so at this point, we view them as uh, not necessarily antagonistic, but as people who are in power and are trying to figure out what was going on. And so there are three possibilities that they raise about who we can be. 
Number one, are you the Messiah? Now, does that question strike you as odd? Like, I would think that they would have a better idea of who the Messiah is and what he looks like, but let's, let's put that question in the back of our minds. Secondly, are you Elijah? Elijah would be the prophet who comes before the end of times. And thirdly, are you the prophet, which in this case most likely is a reference to Moses, who God rose up to be or raised up to be a leader of his people. And John's response to all three of those questions is what? No, I am not any of those things. And when he says, I am not any of these things, it's almost like the questioners get to this point where they're like, okay, fine. Then who are you and what are you doing? Because it's weird. If you're not all of these important things, then why are you here? And in response to that, John the Baptist quotes Isaiah. I am here to make straight the way for the Lord. And they continue to question him about his life, but he puts his own life and mission into a particular perspective. They want to know why he's baptizing, and he almost makes the baptism that he's doing seem like it's nothing, right? He diminishes it so much and doesn't really give them an answer as to why he's doing it. Um, because within the book of John, it's not about why he is baptizing or that he's baptizing at all. Really, in the book of John, John the Baptist is just John. He's not really the Baptist. Uh, yes, he's doing those things, but that's not who his core identity is. And so the irony is that these leaders went out to find out who he is, and he tells them nothing about himself. Instead, he tells them about the one who will come. If you're interested in me, just wait till you see who is coming behind me. Because the one who comes after me, he is the story. I'm not the story. He is the story. So why does John the Baptist exist within the Gospel of John? He exists to help others know who Jesus is. To literally, in some cases, point to Jesus and say, look, there he is. So is he credible? Can you trust him? Is he telling the truth? Well, that leads us to part two, which is, how does he know what he's talking about? I mean, anyone can point to someone and say, that's the Messiah, that's the Christ. How do we know that he's telling the truth about this? And this is an important question. We as the readers, the people that are questioning him, need to know where he got this information. Is he an expert? Did he witness something himself? So let's pick it up in verses 29 through 36. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me, has surpassed me 
because he was before me. I myself do, did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Okay, there's a little note that should like tingle your brain a little bit there. We're going to come back to it. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Now, there's a couple of big things that happen in this passage. Uh, number one, John identifies Jesus. Here is the Lamb of God, and, and, and he gives Jesus some context as well. Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And within both of these cases, this is more than a testimony. It, it, it's a declaration. There, there is no doubt. There is no wonder. There is no, is this the right thing to say? Instead, he calls out to those around him. Here he is. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And there's an interesting implication within this passage that this account is the first time that John the Baptist saw Jesus. Now, that's important, and we'll get to that in a second here. But the, the thing is that anyone who was around John the Baptist that day was not there to see Jesus. They were there to see John and to hear what John had to say and perhaps to be baptized by him. John was the story. But when John saw Jesus, he immediately told everyone, this is the one I have been telling you about. Now, if this is the first time that he's seen Jesus and he positively identifies Jesus, how does he know that that's the one? Right? How does he know that Jesus is the one? that he's been telling everyone about? Well, there's two reasons. Okay, number one, he saw God act in a definitive way in relation to Jesus. How did it happen? The Spirit came down from heaven as a dove and remained on him. Now, this would seem like a pretty big deal in and of itself. The Spirit descending on someone, that would say that they are pretty important. But it, that alone does not prove that Jesus is Lord. It doesn't prove that Jesus is the Messiah. So what proves within this context that that is the sign that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, John tells us, I'm not out here because I just wanted to baptize in the desert. There are other things I could do with my time besides this. Instead, I was sent here to baptize in the desert. If we go back to what he earlier said, to do what? To make straight the way for the Lord. And he was sent by whom? By God. 
The Spirit told him to go. But that's not where it stops, because guess what? The Spirit also told him that when you see the Spirit descend on someone like a dove and stay there, that is your sign. So John not only had secret information that not everyone knew, he had ultra-secret information that nobody knew. He had been told by God, this is who you are waiting for. This is how you will know. The Spirit, he says, told me that this is what it meant, so this is what it means. Period. I have seen, and notice the, notice the phrasing again, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. He's witnessing He's testifying. He's making a statement. And he's proving through his own history and his own story that Jesus is who he says he is. Why is it so important that John the Baptist make these declarations? And why is it so important within the Gospel of John that John talked this way about him, or speaks this way about himself and about Jesus. Why is that crucial? Well, John the Baptist was a well-known figure. People were traveling into the wilderness to be baptized by him. He was eccentric as well. You know, wore animal hair and ate grasshoppers, and, you know, he was a, he was a weird dude. And so a lot of people knew about him. And furthermore, the questions that are asked of him are informative as to who people think he might be. Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Uh, Are you Elijah? Are you a prophet? They don't know anything about him, but what do they know? There's something about this guy that makes him different than everyone else, and it's not just that he's weird. There is something different about him. Which leads me to an interesting question I want you to consider. When you think about that image of John the Baptist in the wilderness, living a spare life, baptizing and preaching, and you contrast that John the Baptist with Jesus, who was a pot stirrer, who spoke against who Israel was and who they had become, who cleansed the temple, who spent time with sinners, who seemed to not care for the religious at all. Which one of these two seems more like the Messiah? It's John, isn't it? Jesus almost is like a revolutionary figure. But John looks the part of someone who would make a difference in the world for God. And so, there are some who could easily have believed that John was more important than Jesus. Because look at him. And look what he's doing. So 
So the writer is not just providing the first witness in John, but he is showing definitively that Jesus is the story. It's not John. And guess who knew that better than anyone else? John did. He knew that better than anyone else. We see John again in chapter 3, and um, some of his followers started arguing uh, with some other uh, Jews that were around them, and they were arguing about uh, uh, ritual cleansing because John was the baptizer, so he apparently is the expert about cleansing in water. Um, and they're having this discussion about it, and Jesus has started baptizing at the same time. So now you have John and Jesus baptizing in these different places. And the followers come to him and like, hey, you started doing this first. And what do you think about this Jesus guy? And that, you know, he's kind of taking your shtick. Like, are you, you okay with that? And listen to what John says from chapter 3, verses 27 through 36. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. That sounds like something Paul would say, right? But guess who said it? The one who comes from above is above all. The one who's from earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He, he testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful, for the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God for God, gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. These are the last words we have from John the Baptist in the book of John. And to the very end of his story within this gospel, what does he do? He points to Jesus. He tells anyone who will listen who Jesus is. And we have seen twice now that people have come to him wanting to make him important wanting to make him the story, wanting to elevate him. And both of those times, he forcefully and demonstrably says, no, there is one who is greater than me. And then goes on, especially in this passage, to explain exactly why. Well, look, I'm from earth, he's from heaven. I baptize with water, he baptizes with the Spirit, pouring out the Holy Spirit on people freely. I am not him. 
I'm not. He is the one that this story is about. And John, as important as he was, deflected all attention away from himself and on to Jesus. The reason why he does that is that he is a witness. His life is about giving testimony so that others would know who Jesus is. I think there's a lesson in there for us. Because a lot of times the story of church or religion or Christianity becomes about what the people of Jesus do or don't do. The things that they think are right, the things that they think are wrong. And my problem with that is too much of the discourse around Christianity today is about us and who we don't like and it's not about Jesus. It's just not. And when it becomes about us and we are not pointing to Jesus, we become greater and Jesus becomes less. And John's declaration to the world is that Jesus must be greater and I must become less. But it's the reason why he feels that way that's so important. He knows, get this, that he really doesn't have much to offer everyone else. But Jesus does. Jesus can change lives. He can change the world. And he's just about to get started. So don't waste your time wondering about me and why I'm important. Because compared to the one who has come to save the world, I am nothing. But don't get confused, everyone, because that's not a statement of defeat. It's a statement of joy. And John, even so early in this moment, can look at the fact that he gets to point people to Jesus and say, my life is complete. Because I have gotten to do the one thing that means the most. My life is a sign that points the way to Jesus. We point people to Jesus. Sometimes we might point them to the wrong kind of Jesus. Sometimes we might point them away from Jesus. But this is the purpose of the church. This is the purpose of those who have been redeemed by him. Is that we are not the story. He is the story. And we can tell about our lives. But the story we tell about our lives is not how we figured everything out. And about how hard we have worked to become the people that God wants us to be. That's the wrong story, isn't it? The heart 
of who we are, our foundation, the thing that we are built upon, is built upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ, who came to this place not to make himself greater. You see the, you see the irony of some of this? Not to make himself greater, but to elevate those who were unloved, who were lost, and who needed more than anything else the love and salvation that God has to offer. And if we do anything as a church, if we are to accomplish anything, then we must do one thing. We must point the way. Amen?